Welcome to Not Your Boyfriend's Sports Show. I'm your host, Maeve, and this week, it's an episode just in time for tax season. You know the common saying that goes something like, the only things certain in life are death and taxes? While the origins of this quote may be debated, it's often attributed to Benjamin Franklin in a letter he wrote in 1789. Our new constitution is now established and has an appearance that promises permanency, but in this world, nothing can be said to be certain except death and taxes. Now, this is a podcast about sports and not constitutional theory, but the two may be more related than you think. The whole idea of taxes being focused on where you live uh, and states being limited to only taxing the residents in their state uh, I think it kind of dates to the, the U.S. Constitution, um, in our country at least. Uh, we had a previous framework called the Articles of Confederation. It was much more looser arrangement between the states, uh, kind of treating them all as quasi-countries. And uh, states put up trade barriers against each other. They taxed each other's residents and goods traveling between it. It was a, a, essentially a trade war. It was very problematic, and that's one of the reasons that we ended up adopting a constitution uh, and holding the Constitutional Convention because we wanted to limit the ability of states to do that to each other. Fast forward to 2015, and we have the Supreme Court of the United States upholding a decision by the Ohio Supreme Court that the way Cleveland taxed visiting NFL players was unconstitutional. It has to do with a concept known as duty days, the due process clause of the 14th Amendment, and a tax arms race between states that started with Michael Jordan. I kid you not. And we'll get to all of that, but for now, let's leave it here. While the existence of taxes may be certain, the mechanisms by which they're levied is anything but. And athletes may be one of the best examples we have of the competing interests between the individual and the state, between the states themselves, and personal wealth versus mutual benefit. This episode, I'm joined by Richard Oksher of the Tax Policy Center and Joe Henchman of the Tax Foundation to answer this central question. What do athletes teach us about taxes? Let's start really simple. Taxes. We all theoretically pay them. But what is an income tax? An income tax is, it's almost a circular definition. It's a tax on income. Uh, income being defined a lot of different ways, but uh, any gains you've gotten throughout the year, whether realized, that is converted into cash, or unrealized. So that would include uh, the value of your, your home going up or the value of an investment going up, even if you haven't cashed them out, converted them to cash. Uh, and then our tax system takes that concept of income and decides what gets tax on it this year and what doesn't. That's Joe Henchman. You heard him earlier talking about the mess of interstate taxes that led in part to the Constitution. He's the vice president of legal and state projects at the Tax Foundation, an independent tax policy nonprofit. He analyzes state tax trends, constitutional issues, and tax law developments. And he's still getting over the charter's move to L.A., Next up, you'll hear Richard Oksher, a researcher at the Tax Policy Center in Washington, D.C. He focuses on state and local issues, especially the Baltimore Orioles, although that's more of a personal hobby. Yeah, an income tax is just that. It's a tax on your income. The federal government taxes your income most, but not all. States tax income, and a handful of cities do too. 
Uh, we're taping this in February. So a lot of Americans are probably filling out their taxes right now. You pay the tax throughout the entire year if you have a job, like a, a wage where you have an employer, where they'll deduct a little bit from your paycheck. Then when you file taxes, what you're doing is you're figuring out did you pay too much or too little based on the laws. And that's why you get a refund or you have to cut the IRS a check. Also probably important to know that when you pay state taxes, you pay taxes where you earn the money, even though you're also paying it to the state that you live in. You pay taxes where you earn the money, not just where you live. This is important. It bears repeating. It's the central concept in understanding how athletes and the rest of us are taxed. Let's walk through an example. We'll use Dustin Pedroia, second baseman for the Boston Red Sox, four-time Golden Glove winner, two-time World Series champ, and also my favorite baseball player. A couple years ago, he signed a multi-year deal with the Red Sox that pays him on average $12.5 million a season. Massachusetts has a flat rate income tax of 5.1%, so doing some back-of-the-envelope math, we can expect him to pay about $644,000 in taxes. If only. Uh, unfortunately, it's not that simple even for a state like Massachusetts, which has a, a very flat income tax. So if he was anyone other than an athlete, uh, that would be the case. But because he's an athlete, it's not. Um, and it's because of a concept known as the jock tax. Uh, and the jock tax is this idea that uh, athletes will pay tax based on where they are playing, not just where their home state is. So, you know, taking a, 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 an MLB player uh, who plays, uh, I think it's about 160 odd games a year, half away, half at home, uh, about half of his tax liability will be paid in Massachusetts. So that'll be, uh, I think your number was 644, so that'd be about 322 or so. And then the other half will be play, paid in all of the states all over the country where he plays games. So if, let's take, for example, seven out of his 162 duty days uh, are in the state of California, which has a top tax rate of 13-odd percent. Uh, he will multiply his income by the percentage of the duty days in California, and he will owe California tax on those days. And if that wasn't complicated enough, um, in order to prevent multiple taxation, you can credit these taxes you pay in other states against your home tax. The idea being we don't want people paying more than 100% uh, or taxes on more than 100% of their income. And when you add it all up, he's probably going to pay uh, probably closer to a million dollars in tax rather than 644. Technically, everybody is supposed to pay their taxes this way. If you earn money in another state, whether you're an athlete or a hairdresser, you're supposed to pay taxes on the income you earned in that state. This isn't a separate tax. You didn't have legislatures you know, around the country going, hey, let's tax athletes. Let's create this special tax that's only going to tax them. This is the law of the land. Um, if you or I was to hypothetically go to a conference and you know, work at that conference, we would owe that state, if they had an income tax, money. But the state doesn't know that we were there. They don't know our schedules, that we went to some random conference in, in you know, Massachusetts one weekend. But I know Dustin Pedroia's schedule. Um, everyone knows baseball player schedule. You know football player schedules. You know basketball player schedules because they're prominent and they're known. And so the states can then do the math and figure out how long they were there and how much tax they owe that state or city because of that. Okay. 
So we've established that half of the games Dustin plays in a season are going to be taxed according to the laws of the state where he plays those games. But for his home games, Dustin may have a little more control. Fenway Park is in Boston, of course, but Dustin could claim his residence in, say, Florida, a state with no personal income tax and plenty of sunshine and nice weather during the off-season. For the record, I did look into where Dustin actually lives during the off-season, and best as I can tell, he has an apartment with his wife and child in Boston overlooking Fenway Park. Good man. Okay, back to taxes. The complications don't end there. Remember Cleveland? Last season, the Red Sox played the Indians four times on the road during the regular season. Ohio is going to tax Pedroia, but so is Cleveland. It's one of a handful of cities that levy their own local taxes on people who earn money there. Yeah, so Cleveland has a, a, a really terrifying example. Uh, any, any income tax accountant is absolutely afraid of clients who work in the state of Ohio because Ohio has a lot of local income taxes. And we've heard horror stories of because uh, it's not it applies not just to athletes, of course, here we're talking about athletes, but it applies to all sorts of professions. Uh, Cleveland is one of those cities with a local income tax, so that's another, I believe it's about 1% you have to add on to it. Uh, probably not much money-wise in the scheme of things, but it's more complexity you have to worry about. Now, maybe if you're a plumber and you live in Florida and you have a few jobs in Georgia, I don't know if you report that income to Georgia. <laughs> Um, but if you're a professional baseball player and you play in Atlanta, they're going to know. And so, again, that's that's the difference. The difference is that it's not the law is different. It's not there's nothing special about you other than I know exactly where and when you're playing. Athletes are an easy target primarily because their schedules are so public. But it's also the type of income they earn that makes them so irresistible. You can't see me, but I, I don't look much like LeBron James. I am. Not nearly as talented as him in any sport uh, as he is in basketball. Um, but one thing that, you know, LeBron James has in common with you and both of us is he's going to get a W-2 from the Cleveland Cavaliers. They're going to say, hey, we paid you some $30 million this year. And that W-2 is also going to go to the IRS. And he's going to have to pay tax on it. And athletes are this, like, beautifully taxable entity because this is all wage income of, of high-income people. Most really, really rich people. We're talking millions and millions, if not sometimes billions. The 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 1%, but not even the 1%, this is like the the tenth of 1%. They make most of their money on capital income, uh, investments, interest, dividends. And our tax system, the federal tax system and, and most state tax systems, treats that income differently than the wage income that LeBron James and and we get. The taxes on other types of income, like capital gains or investments, um, they're a little more complicated. Some are lower, some are higher. Uh, there's certainly a lot more paperwork associated with complying with them compared to wage income. But I wouldn't exactly count athletes out on that kind of stuff. Um, you know, not all of them just take the take the cash amount and stick it in a savings account and and draw it down. A lot of them. Uh, end up being investors. A lot of them uh, put their money into into different uh, different things. Sometimes they lose it all, and, and that certainly makes the papers. Um, so you know, uh, we've been mostly talking about a very simple example of he just has uh, an athlete just having wage income from the contract. But of course, there'll be endorsement deal income. There'll be uh, you know autograph income. There'll be uh, all sorts of stuff out there, and uh, that gets thrown into the mix too. So taxing athletes is easy for the states and complicated for the athletes. 
but wealthy athletes can at least hire an accountant to do all the paperwork. These taxes, though, still apply to the coaches and managers and medical staff and anyone else who travels and works for the team, many of whom are probably not in a position to hire an accountant. Part of the big difference between an athlete getting taxed or one of the lower-level employees, the support staff, is just their ability to comply with it. Because, um, you know, maybe uh, a, a big millionaire athlete, he can certainly afford whatever it takes to file 30 tax returns in a bunch of different states and keep track of all the money and make sure withholding is getting done and all the other stuff you have to worry about when you're making a lot of taxes. But maybe one of the support staffers who's you know, earning forty or fifty or sixty thousand dollars a year, maybe he can't afford the army of tax accountants that uh, some of the players do to keep track of it. Now, the leagues try to do a good job of helping them out with that, but ultimately, that's just um, money down a rat hole, so to speak, just uh, moving money between different states and shifting it around from each other. So uh, that that I think would be the big difference is just their ability to comply with all of it. But again, it's important to remember that taxes are really complicated. So, okay, you think of someone who's making, you know, thousands, not millions. You know, there are things in the income tax system where, you know, you might not know, you might not owe any state tax. You might have, if you add up your standard deduction and your personal exemption and whatever else that state offers or, or you're itemizing in the, with your home and your charities, you might not have any taxable income in that state. So even though, yeah, you, you would owe it, you don't because you don't have enough money to breach that threshold to be taxed on it. Uh, similarly, you know, we talked about in Massachusetts, they have a flat rate. So, yeah, Dustin Madroya and the equipment manager, if they have taxable income, all of those dollars are being taxed the same. Uh, that's not true everywhere. In California, you know, Dustin Madroya is paying like a 12% rate on those, those last millions of dollars he earned above the, their top rate, which is around a million dollars. Um, for people more like the 30s and 40s, it's 4 or 5%. So yeah, they owe, but they, they won't owe as much because of that state's progressive income tax system. The 1991 NBA Finals are notable for a few reasons. It was the last time Magic Johnson played in the Finals, it was the first time Michael Jordan played in the Finals, and it was also the first NBA championship to be won by the Chicago Bulls. It also ushered in the modern era of jock taxes. The first uh, jock taxes came about as a way of uh, uh, Illinois punishing California because uh, some Illinois players went to play in California and then California served them with uh, tax bills. So when California players came to play in Illinois, Illinois passed, uh, what was known as Michael Jordan's Revenge. That was the first jock tax to, uh, uh, on, on some of the basketball players there in order to kind of get their money back. And then we just saw this this uh, kind of an arms race, for lack of a better term, pop up all over the country uh, of each state doing this. Once California did it to Illinois and Illinois did it back to California, it was a free-for-all. Ease of enforcement certainly was a big reason that uh, these jock taxes came about. I mean, Michael Jordan coming to California, everybody knows how much he was making, everybody knows what days he was going to be in the state, and it, it didn't take a lot of time for uh, a California tax official to type up the notice and, and send it down for a, for a big windfall. Uh, that benefit-cost balance really isn't there for if you or me went to a particular state for a couple days and earned earn some income. It's not worth one minute of a of a of a state tax official uh, working to try to collect that income. 
Uh, and of course, it's, it's a lot harder to find out where we are. I, I will say this is changing a little bit. This stuff used to only really apply to athletes and entertainers, although it technically applies to anyone. But it is changing for probably mainly high-income people, uh, primarily because it's getting easier to know where people are uh, nowadays. And, you know, a lot of my friends are always checking into Facebook where they are. Uh, and, you know, it's not just your friends who can, can access that information. If there was an enterprising state tax official out there, and there have been a few, uh, they uh, can sweep that up in discovery during an audit or uh, can try to hunt down that information or subpoena it and be able to, to apply taxes on you. States also use taxes as a ploy to make their state an attractive place for people and businesses. Whether or not this works is up for debate, but it's certainly used as a bargaining chip when athletes become free agents. Okay, so speaking personally, I think this is used by agents a lot to try and drum up a little bit of extra money. Um, but let's get back to the real question. Okay, does this affect an athlete's decision on where to play. I come down more on the no, uh, because let's think about how we're getting to this place. You know, first of all, you mentioned high, you know, profile, high performing athletes. Uh, you know, for most athletes, it's not a question of where you're going to play. It's if you're going to play, you're maybe lucky to get one or two contract options and you're grabbing that no matter what the tax ramifications are. Um, but your, you know, top paid athletes in the sport, an athlete who can play for any team, you know, there's going to, is taxes a part of the equation? Sure. But I think before you get there, you got to say, okay, what team's going to give me an opportunity to perform well to keep my performance high? Okay. How is this team going to do, uh, you know, wins and losses wise? I want to be a part of a winner. Um, even more regular systems, like where do I want to live for half of the year? All this comes into play. And then I think at the very end, when that player is down to like one or two teams and, you know, one of the cities has is in a high tax state like New York or California and one is in a lower relative tax state, I'm sure the agent goes to the, you know, owners and the general managers and says, hey, you know, there's some tax ramifications here. Give me a few more dollars. Or they might say, give me another year on the contract. Um, so I think it comes down to those things. But I, I dislike this idea that athletes are rushing to no tax states. I mean, the Seattle Mariners have never won a World Series despite being in a no income tax state. Um, whereas the New York Yankees, in a various state with a progressive income tax and a city with an income tax, seem to do okay getting players. I'm not going to take us down this road, but you, you can do a lot of bad things when you assume that all decisions, whether it be an athlete, uh, a person, or a company, is entirely reliant on taxes you know again put it in put it in your equation but when you make it first and foremost and only you're doing your state and your city a disservice kansas is a good example where this logic is taken to the extreme in 2012 the state passed a series of tax reforms one of which changed the way so-called pass-through businesses are taxed some businesses pay corporate income taxes on profits but others often small businesses pass through their profits as income and have it taxed as personal income instead. The 2012 Kansas law declared this type of business income tax-exempt. It also designated limited liability corporations, better known as LLCs, as pass-through businesses. Bill Self, the head coach of the men's basketball team at Kansas University, is considered the highest-paid state employee in Kansas. 
It's a bit convoluted, but he gets paid a base salary of $230,000 a year, and this gets taxed. On top of it, he's paid an additional $2.75 million for educational, promotional, and other public relations duties, and this money is paid to him via his personal LLC, which is now tax-free. That's about 95% of his overall earnings that become exempt. To you and me, it seems like it's all the same job. But from a tax perspective, it's very different money. Kansas, a couple of years ago, passed this law saying uh, everybody who sets up an LLC, uh, your income earned through that LLC is completely exempt from state taxes. You have to still pay federal taxes, but as far as state taxes go, it's now zero. Um, So we've seen a lot of people convert their wage income to LLC income to the extent they can. And that's not, you know... Uh, low-income people who are able to do this. It's, it's high-income people like Bill Self, who I think he had a pre-existing LLC and he uh, shifted more of his income over to it to, to be able to take advantage of this provision. It's really hard for me to blame him because um, this is something the state said, you know, we're going to start allowing and it's a, a gigantic tax savings for him. Uh, I just think it looks bad on the, on the state law. Um, they passed it in the notion that it would uh, creating this carve out for this one type of income would boost job creation. I don't think uh, there's certainly an argument going on right now in Kansas about whether that's happened or not. Uh, there's some evidence on both sides, uh, but what it certainly has done is I, I think created a lot of uh, inequities in uh, allowing people essentially to choose whether or not they pay taxes at the state level, and uh, that, that's definitely rubbed people a long way. I would say Kansas is a is an outlier among the states on it. Most states don't have provisions like this, um, and it's it's very hard to to avoid taxes uh, legally. Uh, avoidance being the legal way you avoid taxes. A lot of people evade taxes, of course, which is illegally, and uh, and, and they usually get caught eventually. Let's emphasize this: it's perfectly legal. It just doesn't sit right with everyday fans. You know, more generally speaking, we think of loopholes as these nefarious things that to your point, is sometimes thought of that the taxpayer or the non-taxpayer is is taking advantage of. And, and there are examples of people who take things to like horrible extremes. Um, but most of the time, this is law. There's no reason we, we can't change any of this stuff other than political roadblocks and, and other things. And when you're filling out your taxes, you, 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 it's, why not put the, I mean, like, is the mortgage interest deduction a loophole? Like, cause you can get the interest on your house down? No, it's, it's just a law. Uh, there are good laws and there are bad laws. But again, if, it, if it, you're doing it legally, um, I think it, it's kind of absurd to, to harbor any ill will toward the, the person when there's a fixable solution. You change the law. Don't, don't, don't write on your team's message board, write your state or federal lawmaker a, a letter. How about that? And that right there might be the moral of this whole story. Jock taxes are a legal, easy way for states to collect money. And while it might be hard to drum up extra sympathy for a millionaire athlete, it certainly makes you think about who the tax system benefits and burdens and whether you agree with that. I would put jock taxes in the category of constitutional but bad policy. Um, I think uh, uh, as far as uh, the Constitution goes, so long as the tax is applied uh, evenly to everybody within a category uh, and applies evenly to everyone geographically, uh, it's still uh, uh, still valid. 
So anybody traveling in business in a state is subject to this tax. Now, they may be selectively enforcing who actually pays it. I would say it's, it's bad policy because ultimately this just comes down to a lot of states fighting over the same revenue. And it's a lot of paperwork and a lot of compliance to basically shift some income from Massachusetts to California. Uh, and, you know, I'd, I'd just rather uh, Massachusetts fo focus on taxing its residents and California focus on taxing their residents rather than uh, burdening interstate commerce. Uh, and, you know, if we're going to make a constitutional argument, that might be one that uh, might be stronger than others. Uh, there is a ban in the Constitution from states impeding interstate commerce. And uh, if these taxes grew so onerous that uh, there was some demonstrable evidence of people not wanting to travel to a state uh, because of the tax burdens that might follow, uh, maybe that's too high for constitutional purposes. There's actually a bill in Congress meant to address how complicated tax returns can become for the average person who might do business in multiple places. It's called the Mobile Workforce Bill, and the idea is to limit the ability of states to tax non-residents. But before you go ahead thinking jock taxes have been resolved, just wait. The bill specifically excludes professional athletes and entertainers. That money is just too easy to give up. When I first got the idea for this episode and started researching it, I thought the big question would be, if fans should feel some sort of injustice if the players on their team claim residency somewhere else to avoid income taxes. If fans pay their taxes and make their city a safe and attractive environment for a team to be, if they pay sales taxes on team merchandise and beer at the stadium and all the rest of it, and after all is said and done, the millionaire athletes don't even pay in-state income taxes, then shouldn't we all feel a little offended? But turns out that's too simple a way to look at it. Excuse the wordplay, but I was blaming the player and not the game. Puns aside, the tax system is incredibly complex, and it can bend to special interests, some of which we may think are beneficial, and some of which we may find are not. Athletes are just one small, but very, very visible part of that equation. We, we, we argue a lot at the Tax Foundation with other organizations over what the purpose of taxes are, because there's a lot of people out there on the left and the right who want to use taxes to reward or to punish. So if you if you drive this type of car, we will reward or punish you. If you have this many kids, we will reward or punish you. If you uh, in engage in this type of uh, activity, you buy a home or, you, or whatever, we will use the tax code to reward or punish you. Uh, that's not our view. Our view is the tax code shouldn't be a, a football for those purposes, to, to mix metaphors a bit. Uh, it should be uh, to use uh, primarily just to raise revenue for what we want to spend money on uh, as a society. Yeah, you know, I'd be hesitant about policy, and the, and the jock tax kind of veers into this, where we're gonna we're gonna view these as golden gooses to be squeezed, um, especially in, for states that uh, they're not even residents of. I mean, uh, is a baseball player coming to your state for three or four days? Uh, is he really conceivably going to use a level of services equivalent to the tax that he's paying? You know, uh, I mean, even if he, you know jackhammered a sidewalk and crashed his car and went to the hospital and had police services, uh, I mean, I don't think he would, uh, I think he's still a net payer to the state. Uh, I think the state's still a net beneficiary. So, so you know, it, it, it does come up with fairness both ways, I think. 
Both Joe and Richard agreed that you're working within a system. They take every deduction and exemption that they're legally entitled to when they file their taxes. But they also both reminded me that these are laws and not absolutes. They can be changed. Which brings us back to the Supreme Court case I mentioned at the beginning. Cleveland had been taxing NFL players based on how many games they played there. Cleveland claimed that 5% of the players' income was taxable. They played one game out of 20, which included preseason games, in the city of Cleveland. But former Chicago Bears player Hunter Hillenmeyer argued that this was an illegal way to calculate their taxable income, since they get paid for non-game days as well, meaning practice days, contractually required media days, things like that. Add game days back in, and this is the model known as duty days. By this argument, Cleveland should have only been taxing them on about 1% of their income. In the end, the Ohio Supreme Court agreed, citing the due process clause of the 14th Amendment. They ordered Cleveland to pay back the money, and it amounted to all of $5,062 over three seasons. Cleveland has since adopted the duty days model. So, maybe that $5,000 is not much money to a pro athlete, but it's the principle of the thing. Taxes may be a certainty, but the only constant is change. Many thanks to Richard and Joe for joining me on this episode. Remember to check out the website, nybfsports.com, to find old episodes and sign up for the newsletter. Plus, you can follow the show on Twitter, that's at nybfsports, or give us a like on Facebook at Not Your Boyfriend's Sports Show. Make sure to file your taxes by April 15th, and as always, good game listeners. Listeners.